a few times too <laughs> yeah oh my gosh i've had some uh radio magic go down the drain uh and yeah just uh bummed <laughs> really bummed i had maurice jones drew right. on last summer uh right before the start of football season one of my uh athlete friends who used to play corner on the football team knew him because they played together for carl durrell and he's like yeah i think i could get maurice jones drew on you know and and he was a sprinter in college and you know it's just high school and and he, I don't think he ran in college but he ran in high school against Reggie Bush and it was just, we had such a great time and it, I got up a little early you know like seven o'clock for me is kind of early during the summer yeah I just forgot to hit the button man and I was so <laughs> so bummed because it was great stuff but yeah let me see oh let's get that out of there how did this come on here all right sorry I was working on something on cap cut and it popped up on the screen all right. Well, no, don't worries, man. Let's get this rolling. Hey, um, welcome yeah. to Raise the Bar. This is the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. My, my name is Troy Haynes. I'm your host, and I'm uh, happy to welcome today Sean Francis of Team Hoot Pole Vault. How do how do I get all that right in there, Sean? Yeah. No, you you nailed it. Team Hoot Pole Vault. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And um, I was just going to give everybody a little intro there. I um I came across your stuff through um a buddy of mine mike ashton who is the pole vault coach at utah valley and um cool. he, he's um i just started uh coaching the vault this year at vanguard university i had uh, one or two years of it in high school i want to say three high school years but even though i did it in high school i i mean i understand the vault a little like this much yeah. you know? and it's like <laughs> it's just an watching animal. it going wow you know there's a lot of stuff going on here at once and I was one of those guys who just did it, you know? So it was like, okay, I'm happy to coach guys, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So I started going to coach Curran, you know, watching him work. And I didn't really ever see many drills because he just had them coming down the runway in waves. And so I would yeah. see that and I had a million questions. And so um, Mike was, you know, good enough to suggest some drills for me and everything. And one of the things he sent me was, was you, you know, doing something on oh, YouTube. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And um, I think uh, the first thing I did of yours was the buying the really soft pole thing, the seven. Oh, yeah, the PVC pipes. With the PVC pipes, yeah. So, yeah. you know, we started doing those and the guys started getting better and it, it was just great stuff. Cool. So it's honor appreciate it. An honor to meet you. And uh, how did you get all started on all this stuff, Sean? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we, we actually just celebrated our 10-year anniversary, so I, I made a little bit of a video about this back in October, but um, it, it really started when I I hit, I was finishing grad school, and you know, all elite pole vault, or not elite pole vaulters, but all pole vaulters or athletes in general have that idea of, do I go get the real job, you know, and start the traditional right. route, or do I go do this uh, track and field thing for a little bit while longer, while the window's open, and I decided yeah. to do the window, you know, and in that process, I had this club of kids up in North Dakota State where I went to college. Mm -hmm. And I had this massive guilt that I was like leaving this crew to go train back down in Minnesota. So I started these YouTube vlogs back in 2012 just to stay in contact with them. Right. And as you probably know, like the track and field and pole vault community is pretty small. So that yeah, people found some kind of content back then and they started watching it and it kind of grew into what it is today um, with books and video courses and, you know, trying to just put out information just because yeah. that's what I wanted when I was a kid, but that's right. how it all, that's how it all started. 
That's awesome. Now, so uh, in high school, where'd you, you were in high school in Minnesota also? Yep. Yep. Hastings, Minnesota. Hastings, Minnesota. And what was your, uh, how did, how did you vault in high school? Yeah, I was a, I was a 15 foot vaulter by my senior year. So like pretty average, I mean, it's a big jump in Minnesota. It was the highest jump in the state that year, but Uh like, uh, I mean, I started at 10 feet my freshman year. I think I went 12, six, my sophomore year, then 14 and 15. So it seemed like a pretty gradual from what I'm seeing right. now from a lot of kids, like nothing special, really. I just, I just didn't stop. Right. <laughs> that, that was kind right. of the magic is if you go long enough, you get better. How did that do for you at state in high school? Yeah. So I, I got second on misses. So that stung a little bit, but yeah, I uh, kept the fire going, you know? So I kind of went to college with this, you know, um, something to prove kind of a thing. And that was North so Dakota that's, state. That's, that's yep. North Dakota state and NDSU in Fargo. Okay. And then how, how high did you vault while you were there? So I, I jumped five twenty or seventeen one, And then, um, I told myself if I jumped five twenty, I'd keep going, like just mm-hmm. kind of see where, how high I could jump. And so I did that indoors and outdoors. And then that next year I jumped five forty, my first year out of college. So, um, what's that 17 eight and a half something like that nice and then uh yeah and that and that qualified me for my first u.s championships and that threw another bucket of gas on the fire to, right, to keep right. going so yeah okay so where's where we top out at what's what's the best best ever vault yeah eight, 18 two and a half so 555 outstanding so, yep. so that that yeah. opens up a lot of doors you got to the u.s championships you got to jump against some of the best vaulters in the u.s and then yep. how did, what was that experience like? I, I never, never got to that level. I got to NC2As once my senior year, never got to the U.S. championships in anything that big. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm always curious to hear what, it, what it's like to be at those giant meets. Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stories. That, like one of my first big meets was the Reno pole vault summit where I got to jump with the, the elite vaulters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, at that time, YouTube wasn't very big and there wasn't a lot of videos. So you're seeing whatever you can get your hands on, on a VHS tape or some DVD right. someplace. You know, I remember those days. Yeah. These things. Yeah. And, uh, all these guys you're watching, trying to jump like them and figure out their technique. You're they're in the runway with you right next right. to you, you know? So there was like yeah. Nick Hysong, the Olympic gold medalist in, in 2000, just right in front of you. And you're going, Oh my yeah. God, should I even talk to him or should I, right. <laughs> which, should I even look at him? Um, so that was kind of surreal, you know, the first few times you go out and then over time, you just started to realize that they're all just the same guys trying to do the same thing you're doing. They're just trying to get their plan up a little earlier, trying to hit the box a little harder. Yeah. Um, and that's what I try and tell all these younger kids is they're just trying to solve the same puzzle you are. They're not doing anything else. They're mm-hmm. they're they're doing the basics, right? It's just faster and on bigger sticks, but everything yeah. else is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So um, then, yeah, you brought up something that's so amazing to me. The these last four or five years, um, I got started on Instagram. I I don't even remember. <clears throat> how that all started. I, I started up this, this little side training business of mine, uh, to avoid doing summer school. <laughs> so I, yeah. I got to a place <laughs> where I hated summer school and I, I always loved coaching. So I was like, Hey, you know, why don't I, uh, why don't I see if I can do this during the summer and make the same amount of money and have more fun. And, um, yeah. 
you know, I would come back because our summers are only 10 weeks long as school teachers. So, you know, six weeks of summer school, I would come back and I didn't have enough time to detox, you know, from the kids. So I would just, I would be kind of short and snappy, you know, the kids come back and, you know, they had the whole summer off and they're like, Hey, Mr. Haynes, how you doing? I'm like, shut up, sit down, <laughs> go over there. <laughs> I'm not ready for you <laughs> yet, you know? And, uh, it was way better, you know, doing that. But, um, so anyway, that was the background, but getting started on Instagram, I don't know how I saw it, but just the first couple times I would either see an athlete training, uh, some kind of a coach somewhere, you know, and I'd see some drills and I was like, you know, I've, I've been around enough long enough to have kind of my own system too, but I always wanted to peek behind the curtain, you know, and yeah. I was late to the game of going to clinics and stuff like that. I don't know if it's ego or, or what, but you know, I finally started going to some um, high jump clinics by uh, Doug Nordquist and, um, you know, a couple others and, and just sat there and, oh, there's a lot of great stuff here, you know, but, you know, Doug has stuff on his old thing. That's like this old shot of a videotape with grainy this, you know, and now yeah. I've got all this stuff on my phone. That's just perfect. You know, I, I can, right. somebody showed me how to do a screen recording last year, um, Barbara, my, my strong right arm. And I, I was, she goes, if you can't get a, you know, get it to save or whatever, just play it and record it on your phone. I'm like, you can yeah. do that. And she goes, yeah, just hit this screen recording, but pull this down. So I did that. And I'm like, oh, now everything's perfect on my, on my phone. I can go frame by frame and, you know, pick it apart. So it's, we're in an amazing age of, you know, being able to watch and analyze. And, you know, I put things on my golf swing analyzer and start drawing lines and circles and, you know, putting angles of measurement and I was telling somebody the only thing I'm missing is a um a counter I need a because it, it, it has it at the bottom like if you're scrolling through a video it'll tell you yeah. it's 12 seconds long right so if, if right. you're going long but 12 seconds or seconds that's a long time I want I want to break it down you know into either hundreds of a second or milliseconds and go you know from the time your foot hits the ground to the time you're doing this is this amount of time and we right. want to get even that shorter or you know whatever it is so that's that's my next step. I keep I'm gonna keep start asking people if they have anything like that. So what what Pete? Do you know who Pete McGinnis is? The biomechanist. No. So he's a biomechanist for U.S. Track and Field, and mm -hmm. he's done a lot of bio biomechanical data. But he uses everything frame by frame to do that. Right. So if you just break it into 24 frames per second, you can at least get you know an idea 24 you know steps in there. So that's yeah. that might be a way just to start that if you use a I don't know if CapCut does that. I know you were saying you use that, but uh, I know that Premier, um, I forgot what they call it on their app, but the Premier Pro version of their app, I know does that where you can cut it frame by frame, which might yeah. get you into those closer to that millisecond. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm just curious, like my my brain, I don't know about the way yours works because I, I see a lot of the the mechanics with you, like the, I've, I've already been using you as an example for my kids because I, I preach in the high jump, especially, everything's got to go in order. So I'm like, yeah. you know, you're running in a straight line and then you run a curve. You can't do one before the other. <laughs> right. Once you get done with a curve, you can take off, but you got to get ready to take off. And then we're going to hit our takeoff mechanics. You know, I said knee drive, arm drive, finish all the way up to toe off. And then you're in flight, you know, and, and your sport is very similar to mine. And that as the better you get, flight gets longer. So I keep yep. telling them the time that you are in the air is the only part of all of this process that, that gets longer as you get better. I think your attack speed and everything else in the high jump, you know, now 
you could argue in the pole vault, you're getting faster too, but the approach itself might be longer to get you more time to do that or whatever. But, you know, the point's still the same for me. It's like, yeah, relatively longer, but not like flight, you know, as a percentage and especially as it's related to improvement and the timing sequence, I'm like, Hey, we got to fly. Like when I watch Barshim jumping at seven 11, I'm like, when he takes off, he's got to wait. <laughs> he's yeah. got to wait for a while before he's going to do anything resembling a layout or, you know, in the pole vault instance, like before you go into your swing or, you know, whatever it is, there's going to be a longer wait in the sequence. So I enjoyed the way you teach that because I'm like, see, there's, <laughs> there's other things just like that. And yeah. I know it sounds silly and, and most everybody would say, well, everything's got a sequence, you know, but I think these, these two are the most, you know, in order kinds of things I've seen. Yeah, no, for sure. I've, I, I've called it the order of operations, right? The pole vault order of operations. Mm -hmm. Kids seem to, I like that. Or vaulters be able to, you know, catch on to that pretty quick. Cause like, oh, I know what happens if I don't do P meds, you know, like right. <laughs> I'm going to get the wrong answer. Right. So it's, it's, I kind of do the same thing where, hey, if we, uh, if we uh, jump or we try to take off before we plant, you know, I see that a lot happening. Their arms mm -hmm. aren't all the way up, essentially. And you go, oh, we just have to switch this order. And then instead of them going, oh, I screwed up or this is hard, they go, oh, that's easy. I'm already doing the steps right. I just have to right. flip-flop them and things seem to work out pretty well. But yeah, I, I like what you were saying about, you know, higher flight time. I have I had a coach one time and he changed my vocabulary on this. But instead of thinking about adding time, which can feel passive in our in the pole vault, mm -hmm. especially, think of everything as we're just adding more energy, which is what we want to do because we want to be active in, especially in the pole vault. Because if we're taking any energy out, I always think of it like when the pole bends, we're in a race to be upside down before it starts recoiling. So mm -hmm. if we pause at all, we're just letting our competitor, the pole, you know, essentially catch up and then we're not gonna be able to get in those positions and fly over the bar. Right. So if I, I run into this a lot where a lot of old ways of coaching are like, let's hold this plant position. And then what a kid hears is I need to be static and just not move and just hold. And what happens is the poles bending, we added energy into it. And as it starts to recoil, their, their competitors catching up, right? Or the poles right. moving faster than they are. So instead it's like, I want you to add energy and I want you to keep putting pressure on it so we can keep in front of that competitor mm -hmm. so we can you know, win this race, which, which we're trying to do. And so that has helped a lot. Just change that. That's about a few years old for me when just out of college, someone told me that like, or uh, Steve and Caroline white were like, let's just have no passive phases. Everything's active. Mm -hmm. I can change our vocabulary to be like adding energy instead of having these pauses in there. And it's been really right. helpful with me and my athletes. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I keep thinking too, um, yeah, I, I preach this all the time to him because it's the high jumps quicker, obviously. And, you know, from the time you take off the ground, to the time you land, but you know, when you, when you watch it on film, you can see distinct phases still and sequences yeah. that have to happen. So, but I tell him, I go, look, every time the bar goes up, you're going to have to learn how to wait because yeah. you can't throw your head back into your layout at the same place you did at five ten, even at six feet, right. you're just going to eventually going to hit your head on the bar and you'll, and you'll learn that that doesn't work. And that's a, a sequencing thing. But I'm like, it's also kind of a logical thing where I go, if you want to go from being a 5'10 vaulter to a seven foot vaulter, just picture how much longer it's going to take for you to, to cover that ground. 
you know, it's, yeah. that's a foot and two inches of, of air. Now, in, in real time, that might not seem like a lot, you know, but it, it really is. And then I go, I'll tell him too. I said, the thing that I remember about adrenaline and, you know, cause we're all competitive. And then as the bar goes up and you're going at, at something you've never gone at before, I don't think there's any one person that goes, you know, I think I'm just going to cruise this one. You know, it's right. like, <laughs> yeah. you're standing there going, Hey, this is just pedal to the metal, baby. Let's go. You know, you get excited and you're going down there. And what I've found when I went full juice mode, I, I had a jump tape that I used to listen to with Van Halen and, you know, <laughs> Van Halen jump, obviously. And, yeah. and some other things I love great drum rolls. Those will get me going. So I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay. Then I throw down my headset and I go, you know, yeah. and, and I'm running. And it's like, at that point I was all adrenaline. There was no thinking involved. And it's almost like trusting that everything's going to work out. And what I found many times was I would do the same thing the kids were doing. You know, the first time I jumped at, I just think I was jumping at 225 at the Coliseum and seven, four and a half. I'd only tried it a couple of times and, and I was going so fast. I was having such a good day. I think I, you know, had two really good jumps in a row, like boom, boom, make, make, I'm fresh. I opened high and here I am at four and a half. And I was like, this is it, baby. Let's go. I tried this just a week ago and I, I got it now. And I, I was so fast that my whole, my brain sped up too. And, and I was, I threw my head back immediately. Like I wasn't <laughs> even off the ground yet, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm realizing, you know, the speed is good. We need the speed, but paradoxically as, as the bar goes up, everything's got to stretch out. You know, right. it's like time dilates the other way. And, and I've, I've really, I've kind of put that into my mind as almost like being in the zone. You know, you're playing basketball one day with even just pick up with your friends and, and you hit your first three shots in a row, you know, and, and you're kind of starting to go unconscious and, and you do your heat check, you know, you take one from even farther out <laughs> yeah. and that's good. And you're like, okay, it's kind of weird, but uh, I've heard that talked about before. Everybody goes, yeah, when you're really playing well everything slows down you right. know instead of speeds up you're not like hyper aware you're just kind of like oh this is easy you know oh that guy's covered you watch brady he's like first guy's covered hit the ball's already moving out of his hands to hit the back and the flat you know just yeah. and it and it's like because he knows the guy's there he can almost feel him you know and it's like all those things play out so it's like the sequencing and then the waiting you know the patience it's just, it's interesting to me how you, you have to learn how to deal with different brain states, if that makes right. sense. For sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's really fun actually hearing the other side of like high jump versus pole vault, you know, because mm -hmm. like, yeah, there is that on your, on your side where, yeah, we need the speed until we're in the air. Right. But then everything, yeah. or correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the no. high jump expert. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Once you're in the air, then it's like, then that's where that patience has to come in or else if you if you rush it like you had all that energy on the ground your bars can yeah. fall down right Wrong absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah those flow states are interesting i i don't know if you know but my the other thing i do is i run this mental health advocacy advocacy organization yeah i saw I'm that really on your, your bio yeah yeah and what the mind is doing and stuff but i had a guy just recently tell me that flow states a, a big chunk of why that slowing down happens is because you're taking in more information and so when you have more information it takes longer to process so time dilation slows down and allows you to see things clear because mm -hmm. one you have more information and then you have this perception of time slowing down so you can 
interact with the world in a, in a slower way, which is kind of a cool right. way of thinking about that. It's almost like shooting in 120 frames per second versus mm -hmm. 24 frames per second. You know? Right, right. There's more things actually going on, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Because I, I, I've told, you know, my kids sometimes, they're like, hey, I want you to, you know, when, when you hit your takeoff, if we're leaning better, you're going to buy yourself more time. And I said, and while you're up in the air, you can be in your layout and you'd be like, hey, mom, look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's like there, that, that jump, referring back to that jump that I took at the Coliseum, I remember taking off and I remember hitting the mat and going, what happened? I mean, there was, <laughs> there was no awareness of anything. It was so fast that it, it sped up the other way. It was like yeah. the, instead of dilating, it just went and everything went down to like a half a second and was done, yeah. you know? And it was, I was like, wow. And I remember uh, Dwight Stones came walking by me because he was doing the uh, prime ticket. You know, it was, it was us versus SC and it was at the Coliseum, which was really cool. And it was only a couple of years after the games. This is 1986. So the Coliseum was all tarted up. It was really nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he was doing the telecast, I think, and I can't, I it had to be why he was there. And he came walking by after my first jump. And he said, I'll never forget. Cause I, I don't never really get a chance to talk to Dwight much, but he said, Troy, you're going too fast. That's all he said, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I was like, okay. And I, and I was still in the wrong state of mind, even to, to take what he said, I could, I can hear it now. <laughs> yeah. 30 years of experience now it, it makes perfect sense at the time i was like what do you mean i'm going too fast i need to go this fast the bar went up <laughs> like and i was already in that frantic you know hamster on a wheel thing in my head you know i was like i just it was it was spiraling out of control the wrong way it was too bad but so where, uh, do you, where do you find like in in your past competition where was your optimal arousal level like where where did you compete your best that's really that's a great question um I think, you know, as a, as a competitor, bigger meets were always kind of that way. I mean, they just kind of got you focused. It's hard to get fired up a lot of times for maybe just a dual meet or, you know, once you got towards the end of the season for us, it was pac 10s. And then that one year was NC2As. I remember high school, it was all about CIF out here in, in California. It's called, you know, California Interscholastic Federation, blah, blah, blah. But it's basically just league championships and then the next couple steps, you know, everybody's got them regionals, this, you know, whatever you got to go through. California is a huge state. So they kept us in the South separate from the guys in the North and blah, blah, blah. But as far as arousal goes, you know, I think I would say it would, it'd have to be pretty peppy. Um, I've, I've been noticing recently that a lot of the athletes that I work with, and I, I probably work with high schoolers more than anything else. You know, I have my share, a few elites. I have, you know, uh, some younger kids, you know, that are in grade school or, or, or seventh and eighth graders, but um, the high school kids are so chummy now, you know, <laughs> they all hang out, you know, they're all talking around. I remember when I used to show up to the meets, I would walk in and, and here I'm talking about the big invitationals, right? You get a chance to see all the names in the paper. When I was a kid, <laughs> tells you how old I am, Sean, but I, when I was a kid, the names were in the paper. We used to read the newspaper and see the meet results the next day. And you'd be looking for the marks, you know, you say, yeah. Oh, look, this dude jumped six, eight, you know, or this guy jumped six, nine. And I remember there was a guy named Francel Jones, who was a free safety like me in football and had jumped 6'10 as a junior. And that whole senior year, man, I had my eye on Francel every week. Like, what did Francel <laughs> do, you know? 
and we'd be getting to the big meets like Mount Sac or Arcadia, you know, and looking for those. And, and those guys, when we walked up, I would, we'd kind of do that. Hey man, what's up? You know, and you catch up, but man, once it was time to go, we weren't sitting there hamming it up. I was sitting there on my, my towel, you know, waiting for my turn, just making sure I was in the right order, you know, and, and I didn't sit around too long. Like I'd already learned I couldn't sit, you know, too long. I had to keep up and keep moving. So, you know, those little things, um, the, the non chumminess, I don't know, maybe it was part of my football background Yeah, that might've helped with intensity as far as that goes, you know, it might, might help a little bit, you know, like maybe a swimmer or something. I don't know, maybe certain other sports, maybe it'd be different. I don't want to disparage swimmers. I don't know how they, how they think when they're getting fired up for meets, but football has an intensity to it for sure. But um, yeah, I, I think that always helped. I seem to be okay at big meets, you know, like I did, did my share of decent competing at, at big meets. I don't know. I'd say I've never really thought about that before, Sean. That's a good question. I'm trying to think what is optimal like. Yeah. Cause it or, sounds like that, that Coliseum meet, it was almost like too much. Right. Where right, everything right. sped up the performances like you, you might've been running fast, but the bar wasn't staying up. Right. Right. But right. at these lower meets, like you didn't have the, the pop or the intensity or the adrenaline to, you know, take yeah. it to that next level. So I was, I'm just curious. I wonder where like that middle yeah, phase was for you. Me too. I, I remember I was experimenting a lot with the adrenaline part because I, I got to that point where I was looking for that, the next level thing, you know, it's like you, you lift hard and you do all your explosive training and plyos and, you know, you're fast and explosive and 54 inch box jumps, 60 inch box jumps, you know, I mean, I could yeah. jump. That was no problem. It was just, you know, and there's so many little pieces to it, but it's like, part of that was just like, Hey, maybe if I just get really amped, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> like hyper amped, you know, and that's why I was trying to do that with some, and sometimes I think I needed that more than others. Um, but I don't remember doing that all the time either, even towards the end. And here I'm thinking about post UCLA, but you know, that was a, a, a short time too. I, uh, one thing I was, um, well, you, you brought it up before, um, not to, to get off the subject. I just no, um, whatever. got the right answer for you, yeah. but um, you were talking about the, the similarities between the two. I, and now that I'm, uh, and believe me, a, a real basics in the, in the pole vault coaching, but I've noticed so many parallels. I keep bringing yeah. them up to the kids between the high jump and the pole vault. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these, there's some, some real simple things here, you know, from not, throwing your head back and cranking back on the pole, you know, and all that stuff. I might, I go, there's, there's some real similarities there. So um, did you ever do anything besides pole vault? Did they ever ask you to try anything else? Uh, In, in high school, I was a 110 hurdle guy. I mean, they threw me in the 300s too, but man, those are not fun at all. I don't consider myself a 300 (laughs) hurdler farther than that. Um, I did, I did the high jump maybe at two meets. I think I jumped six feet or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then they were like, oh man, we've, I think I missed Mike again. I'm not a high jump guy at all, but I, I took off too close to the mat and almost missed all the mats, you know, right. as I cleared the bar and they were like, yeah, maybe we should just stick with you in the pole vault <laughs> after that. Like you're jumping high, but I don't know if the injuries are worth it or trying right. to figure this event out. Um, Crazier that the pole vault would be less risky than the high jump. <laughs> yeah, at that time it totally was, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring up those. What have you found parallels uh, besides like throwing your head back? Or, or is, I mean, the oh, for me, so riding the knee. 
Okay. For okay. me in the, in the high jump, you know, I've, I've equated that knee ride and there's a few people that get away with almost none that I've seen, but they're exceptional. Most of the guys that I've seen, Stefan Holm, who's jumped seven, 11 and a half, you know, uh, Barshim, when they drive their knee up and their arms are up here, the arms usually will start to drop because once they, once you get off the ground, the high jump, I always, I teach my kids that I want you to go from tall to small. So I want you to get as tall as you can at takeoff with as high a center of mass, explosive knee drive up and hands up. And then once that toe leaves the ground, the game's going to change. It doesn't have to change immediately, but it needs to change quickly. So your hands are going to come down. They're either going to sit on top of your hips or one can reach for one foot. And, you know, the backside arm tends to just drop on the hips anyway, but your, your knees will come up. So, you, you know, from your, when you're standing, like I'm six, three, I put my arms up, I've got to be, you know, seven feet ish, you know, yeah. or more. But once my arms drop, I'm back to six, three, once my knees bend, I always show them, I go from tall and I drop my arms and then I sit on my knees and then I throw my head back and I'm not very flexible, but I, I can't get my head back towards my feet like I used to. But yeah. you know, I'm like, you're, you're getting into a smaller little ball that's going to spin. You know, you're going to try to rotate over the bar at the top and you can't do that if you're long. You know, you don't spin very quickly or at all with your, with those out. So, but the first part of that is the knee drive has got to stay up in my estimation, because when I drive it back down early, if I punch the hip earlier, if I just drop the knee, I'm actually lowering my center of mass a little bit in the air. A lot of people would argue. I think a lot of physics guys would go, well, it's probably not significant, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I don't want to be lowering anything. Right. You know, as I'm trying to go higher, <laughs> yeah, I want exactly. to keep everything up. So I, I leave that knee up. I tell them to, to leave their knee drive up like it's the button on the elevator. Whatever floor you want to get off. I go, if you want to get off at seven feet, then you better ride that knee all the way up to seven feet. And then you can do your layup, you know. So yeah, that's the that's, one thing I've seen with the vault. You know, when you, you drive that knee through, bang. And like you're saying, stay in that position, that reverse C, where that back leg is just waiting to swing. You know, I'm like, yeah. you don't have to rush that. You know, you don't want to rush that, right? Right. Yeah. No, it's interesting you say that. When when I was in grad school, I got to read all the pole vault uh, research that was out in the last 40, 50 years, mm -hmm. which I'll tell you, there was, a, there was a lot in the 80s and early 90s, yeah. and then it kind of stopped, you know. But right. um, the big one I, I took away was that the long jump up, or the long jump takeoff and the, and the pole vault takeoff are almost identical. Right. So those drills could be interrelated in, in so many different ways, which I don't think, I don't, I don't see a lot of pole vault coaches taking advantage of that going, Hey, let's mm -hmm. just throw them with the, with the long jumpers for a right. one day a week or something just to get their takeoff. Good. That's, that's your pole vault yeah. practice. If we're going to go with the long jumpers and um, which is fascinating because when I was trying to learn the event a long time ago, there was a lot of this jump up, jump up over the bar but mm -hmm. what really we want to see is like an 18 degree takeoff angle which is relatively low if you look at the degrees yes. and so i i mean as soon as i started constantly preaching i want you to try and long jump over the pole vault pit you know and then people yeah. are like oh oh well that makes sense and then they're going and i'm adding more energy into the pole because i'm right. trying to go deeper into the pit and what happens is like the pole will if you're on a small enough pole, you'll keep going that way. But if you get on the right pole, it'll go, nope, we're going up now. And then yeah. guy rocketing right. to the moon. So, but yeah, that knee drive is huge, especially pointing the vaulter where you want them to go. So I've always kind of coached in the pole vault or even long jump. I want you to go that way 
you know, high in that way and yeah. seems to work really well. 18 degrees. Sure. Yeah. I do, my, it's neat that you say that too. Cause I think for flight angles, you know, you always hear different things. I'm like, well, but to me, it seems like for the shot, doesn't, shouldn't it be 45, like perfect projectile launch angle, you know, yeah. and I have never done any research on shot or disc or hammer or the weighted throw, you know, none of those um, javelin. I know the javelin's a different, beast because of the aerodynamics of it you know and right. when i was in college you know the krausers were throwing over three 300 and one guy i don't know it was patronov or one of, i think there's some some guy you know some somebody across the pond threw like 330 or something and they just said <laughs> they had to change the handle you know they're yeah. like somebody's <laughs> gonna get killed out here because these guys are really throwing it you're gonna throw it in the stands pretty yeah. soon yeah <laughs> well, they were figuring out how to hit that perfect angle where it was like an airplane wing and it would just keep going, you know? So yeah. they changed the handle weight and they've done that a couple of times because every time they figure it out, they just keep <laughs> putting it. I think they move it forward. I think they that's, keep moving the handle wild. forward. I don't know. Maybe the other way, but anyway. Um, so yeah, flight angles, takeoff angles. Um, when, if you're working with, uh, uh, say you're recruiting, Walter, Sean, and you're, are you, you're still at, are you're at one of the colleges coaching? Are you still no, doing, so now you're I, working individuals? Yeah. So I, I stopped, uh, when was, I stopped coaching like at a high school or college in 2014 and then have been running, you know, camps throughout the country ever since mm -hmm. and doing this online stuff. So I do a lot of online reviews or if people want consultations or if they want to have me come into you know, their school for a day, a week, whatever it could be, or run a camp, you know, I, yeah. I kind of do that now, but I figured, um, I'd have a bigger impact this way. If I could put more information online where more people could see it than if I worked mm -hmm. with the same eight to 10 kids, you know, for a year. Right. So that right. was kind of the decision with that, but I like that. I like yeah. that. I've, I've been toying with that idea for a while, both, uh, actually until you just said it, I hadn't thought of it at a, at a, uh, domestic level, I was thinking international. I'm like, I would love to take sky iron fly jump camps and, you know, go to India. I've, I've had yeah. so many, so many athletes from India that are saying, help, please. We don't have yeah. any coaching, you know, and they don't even have any money. They don't have any shoes. They're, they're jumping off dirt, you know, and landing in these right. pits. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be great. You know, go over there and do a week, you know, and, and totally go to these different places. So that's, that's a great idea. Um, if you are going to recruit, a pole vaulter, what uh, other than speed, which is kind of obvious, what are some of the athlete types or what types of kids do you think make pole vaulters? Is my, I have my personal observations after a short amount of time and craziness is at the top of the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I keep telling her, I go, I tell my high jumpers, I go, you guys are pretty much daredevils. You don't realize it because you're, you're in one of the more, you know, sports where if you mess up, you could, could get hurt. But I yeah. go, those pole vaulters now, they're they're crazy. <laughs> right. So is that at the top of the list or how does it work with, with pole vaulters? Yeah, I mean, my philosophy is a little different now. I, I, I really believe anyone can be a pole vaulter, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I have this. I have this joke. I wrote it in my book too. It's like, if you can land in the pit and you don't die, you're an official pole vaulter for life. Like it, <laughs> right. it doesn't take much. And I get a lot of master's athletes reaching out who is like, I wanted to try this when I was a kid, especially females, which is cool because um, – uh, the female pole vaulting really hasn't been along very long. I, right, I think it was right. Sydney was the very first Olympics mm -hmm. that they had it. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things, you're like, 
man, the, the, a lot of people show up to watch the women jump before the guys sometimes, you know, right. so the popularity kind of shifted. But so I, I personally try and turn everyone into a pole vaulter. Now, in terms of jumping high, um, yeah, you want you, you need a little bit of daredevil. You need a little bit of that gymnastics kind of like to be upside down and, and try right. weird positions and, mm-hmm. and things. Um, I always say I'm looking for a kid who can fail three times in a row and still want to keep trying it. You know, that's right. always a big one. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you take speed out of it, it's really hard because um, you, you want to be taller if you're not fast, right? Because your levels are going to be easier. It's going to help right. a little bit. But right. we've also seen Renault Lavillani break the world record a few years ago before Mondo um, was on the scene. And he was he's a pretty short guy. Like I jumped against him at some of these meets and you're like, uh-huh. oh, you really aren't that tall. You're just really fast and elastic. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, taking speed out of it is is a tough one because you go, well, what would make a good pole vaulter if they're not fast? You know, yeah. so longer levers, obviously, and a little bit of that, like I kind of want to jump out of a plane, mm-hmm. <laughs> just see what it's like. But yeah, yeah the mentality is a, a huge one, especially in our sport where I don't think you really ever solve it. And it might be true for the high jump as well. Like there's always something you can learn, yeah. um, including like Mono Duplantis right now, like I I talked to him a bunch when he was a kid and his dad talks to me every once in a while too, but he's, they're always like, I mean, he broke the world record, but if we would have done this, he probably wouldn't been able to jump higher. Or if you yeah. would have done, if we could have gotten a little bit bigger pole, he could have jumped higher. Right. And it's one of those things you just never, you never solve. So I would look for a kid who is comfortable with the process and just yeah. wants to not necessarily, I want to be a gold medalist. I want to be this, I want to be that, which is a, a cool thing to aim for. But this sport's all about the process and just seeing how high you can jump. So if yeah. you can have that mentality with some levers and some daredevil um, yeah. dynamics behind it, that's kind well, of it's it's funny too. You're talking about different camps of thought. Like I, I've I've listened to Curran and I I know you know Coach Curran. Um, my I proudly call him my mentor at UCLA. I've kind of yeah. modeled a lot of my business stuff after his business model with the kids and everything. And he's hilarious. He's just like you. He's yeah, he's awesome. He's like, I mean, when he's with the kids, it's so funny. You know, he's hey, you do this, do that, do that. And they come and he's like, and have a nice flight. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and he pushes them into the pit. You know, a lot of time he gets that hand on them and and shoves them in there. Have a nice flight, you know. And uh, uh so I, I love that part. But the um what I've noticed for a high jump is I tell the kids, I go, look, I don't have a a, a Haynes system of what's going to work for you. I said, I've got a lot of things that I've tried and everybody's different. So, you know, like for arm arms at takeoff is huge. There's, I can think of five different styles with sub styles of each one that I've seen. And I'll usually say, if I've seen somebody jump pretty high doing that, that makes it, it makes it viable. You know what I mean? Right. Just because I didn't do that, and I couldn't make that work when I tried it. Doesn't mean that you can't. Right. So I've categorized, you know, two arms up, one arm up, other arm up, like Fosbury, you know, like all these different gradations in between. So I see this wide variation there. Knee drives, one of the few universals that covers all of them for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's one thing I'm wondering, what are the different camps in the pole vault? Because I know not everybody believes in, you know, say uh, I've seen a lot of my guys are having uh, collapsing, you know, if I'm a left footer 
a collapsing arm problem where the, yeah. they eat the pole right away and then maybe they can extend it back off of them or maybe they can't, you know, but I'm like, shouldn't this be, you know? And so when I, when I listened to guys talk, I was, I was talking with Greg Stull, who was one of Curran's vaulters when I was at UCLA. Curran was a, a rookie coach my freshman year, which was interesting. So I've known him for yeah, a long time and, and awesome. got to listen to him. I used to hang out because I loved the pole vault. I did it a little bit in high school and I would watch these guys that were vaulting four or five feet higher than I ever did in high school. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't asking me to do it, of course. So I was like, I'm watching, but I was always listening. I listened to him. I listened to Art Venegas, who was one of the best throwing coaches in the world and had John Brenner there at the time, who was, you know, we were thinking he was going to go to the Olympics in 84. And I listened to these, these high level coaches and I was, had that mind. I didn't realize then it was going to be a coaching mind, but I was always looking for anything, you know, yeah. like, how does this event work? Where, where are they getting their power? Where, you know, and so all those kinds of things. But I remember with current, I could have sworn it was, you know, almost like lock this thing out and hit yeah. and then come back. And then I see, I hear different things. Like Greg was telling me this week that he thinks, there was something that he was talking about between that upper hand getting all the way up and hitting here. And he just like, what was he talking about? It was, he was talking about the third step out of four. Like if you went left, right, wait, right, left, right on the right foot, he was already here. And, yeah. he goes, and then we're going to really bend the pole. He was talking about this new research that he'd looked at. And I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta come see you. You do your stuff because he's, you know, he's got a, a good kid vaulting there at Chapman College. I was watching him, and he was, he's sound. You know, I Greg was a good vaulter in college. I knew then. So, and he's been doing his craft for a while. So it's just anyway. Back to the question: What is, what are some of those camps like? You're talking about these guys, guys arguing back and forth. Yeah, is there, are there two big main camps, or there, there are more. There seems to be a bunch of, it, it's changed over the years. So when I grew up. Well, oh, so this this is the easiest way to say this is there's more than one way to pole vault. Right. <laughs> like, right. I, I I literally wrote it on on the cover of my book because it was like that was the oh the aha moment I had when coaching mm -hmm. or trying to figure out the sport was because when I grew up it was the Russian model because Sergey Bubka had the world record for 20 years and you're like right. no one's beat him he's he's that's the way we have to jump the Russian model and the only other book out at that time. Um, that was readily available was beginner to Bubka, which, mm -hmm. which makes sense. I mean, if you, if you're reading a book with the guy's name on it, you know, you're going to yeah. jump like that guy. Um, and this, I'll tell you a story I heard in college that, that will help with this a whole bunch, but my favorite pole vaulter in high school was Toby Stevenson. He was this guy who wore a helmet and he was, they called him crash Stevenson. Cause he was just aggressive and wild. And he would do these really fun celebrations when he'd get in the pit. Like he, I don't know if you seen happy Gilmore, you know, they would do that yeah. ride in the bull. He yeah. would grab the pole and ride the pole <laughs> afterwards. Um, a showman. I like it. Yeah. He was a showman. Um, and he was fun. And so for a high school kid, you're like, Oh, that, that's, that looks like pole. That That's what it uh -huh. should feel like. And Facebook was pretty new at the time. And so before you could, you know, follow somebody, you just go, I, I wonder if what's on their page, you know, you could start kind of, you feel like a creep in a way, but right. I to Toby Stevenson's page and he posted a video of him jumping. He was a six meter jumper, which is the legendary status in our sport. And if you jump mm -hmm. six meters, you're a legend. He jumped six right. meters the year before won an Olympic silver medalist, uh, uh, that same year. And then the following year, um, I think he jumped 19 something and 
somebody wrote on his Facebook page, uh, you would jump higher if you followed the Bupa or Bupka Petrov model. Uh -huh. And I went, I, I kind of had this like, well, maybe he would have, you know, like everything's saying, if you jump this way, you'll jump higher. And his response just changed my perspective on this. He goes, models only work for the people they're named after. And I went, oh, snap. All right. right. So if Toby tried to jump like Boobka, which I'm sure he's tried to because everyone's going, sure. I'm going to try and jump as high as I can. He probably would have jumped lower, you know? So he had to develop the Toby Stevenson model to jump. Right, right. And that's where my whole perspective started changing. We're going, oh, shoot, there isn't a model. And some of these models might work for specific groups of people or certain mm -hmm. kids, but um, I'm just going to collect as many tools as I can from all of these different places. And mm -hmm. then when I have a kid or a vaulter or myself, even because I was experimenting on myself going, what tools work the best for this style of jump? Right. And Renault Lavillani again, if I, I'm bringing up, him up again, he, he doesn't lift a ton of weights at all. When talking to him and his coach, what he, what he did a lot was he's really elastic and he's really fast. So his coach was saying, like, we want to focus on his strengths instead of his weaknesses. Because mm -hmm. if we focus on his weaknesses, it might kill his strengths. Right. So if we make him stronger, he might get tighter and not be as elastic and, and right. bouncy on the pole kind of a thing. So um, to answer your, your question, this is a long way of saying, um, there's, there are some universal truths, though. Like, um, you need to you need to be the fastest you can at the end of the box, you know, like right. attacking the box. You want your plant as tall as you can before the pole hits the back of the box. Um, you know, that, that plant situation, what I've kind of found is you just want elasticity and you want body positionings moving forward. Mm -hmm. So if you have a big bottom arm, but it's preventing the swing, that probably won't work very well. But right. um, if I remember correctly, watching Kern, what he does is he hits that arm, but he pushes it above the head. So there is that elasticity part. Mm -hmm. Other people do it like this, you know, where there's still elasticity in the chest. So the right. elasticity is the common component. It's just how do you get that is is the trick based on, or I want to even call it a trick, whatever tool you need to do to be able to give the vaulter to be able to have that elasticity. Right. If they're too blocked out, they might throw back. If they're not blocked out again, they might get thrown back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the plant can get a little tricky. Same with knee drives and things like that. If you, the tuck and shooters is another big one I get all the time. Should I tuck and shoot or should I have a long trail leg? Back in my right. day, it was if you pulled your knee up at all, it's bad, really, really right. bad. If you look at the world record holder now or Sam Kendricks or these other world champions, they're all tuck and shooters. So you go, yeah. well, what's the commonality? And if you watch, they keep their legs straight until their pole or their toe is pointing at the box. Mm -hmm. So if you think of like a bow and arrow, if you turn the pole into a bow and arrow, you're turning your body into the string. Right. right? So as right. soon as you pass that string, then you're not adding any more energy in that plane anymore. And you're free to pull your knee up, which will okay. help get your hips up faster, but you can lose some energy that way because you're taking force away from, from right. the swing. So you just have to figure out, is this vaulter strong enough to have a longer swing? If they're not, maybe we tuck and shoot. Does it yeah. tuck and shoot help him get into positions better to be able to do the third, fourth, fifth, sixth phase of right. the jump or right. not? And so I've kind of looked at it that way. And so, yeah, there, there's only a handful of universal physics truths in our sport, but everything else is just a way to be able to do that based on the physics the athlete has at their right. disposal.
Yeah. Okay. That's a really long answer. Sorry no, I, 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 <laughs> the main things that I were thinking of were both, you know, plant and hearing you describe the differences there is helpful. And then the, that to me, the classic one has got to be the one you said last, the either long swing yeah. up into that, you know, and I, it's easier for me to see um, cause I'm used to things that happen quickly that I'm not crazy about. So like, yeah. and the, <clears throat> I was trained by a, a guy named Baru Elias at uh, Long Beach city college who <clears throat> he had, you know, a couple, seven, eight guys in his stable, one of whom went to Korea in, in 88 to Seoul. Um, uh, Brian Stanton, seven, eight jumper, Dennis Lewis, seven, eight jumper. Um, he had multiple 25 and 26 foot long jumpers and, and 54 foot triple. I mean, he always solid in all of those. And Long Beach wow. city used to dominate the state JCs out here, you know, lots of titles up on the wall there when I went to train with him and, yeah. uh, he was big on cycling. You know, what I've learned, you know, knees up, feet to your butt. And I, I apply that. I believe in that so strongly that I think it applies to everything. So from running down the pole vault runway, you know, javelin, long jump, triple jump, high jump, you know, anything sprinting, obviously hurdles, you know, I'm like, if, if you're not cycling to me, you're just, you're just either lazy or you're like running low to the ground, you know, yeah. one of the, <laughs> but it's like, you got to cycle. Right. So I see that. And then I'm like, you know, that, that into the takeoff, like you're saying speed is important. And I'd say, I even tell my athletes even more important is acceleration. For like sure. whatever yeah. you, if we can, it would be ideal to be continuing to accelerate all the way through. Now, some might argue as long as you're going fast and you're not decelerating, I mean, technically you could be decelerating from faster than anybody's ever run and then still be plenty fast yeah. at the takeoff. So, but for me, logically, you know, dealing with human beings, I'm like, well, let's, let's try to accelerate up to where we're right at the fastest we can possibly be as we're doing whatever that is right. from throwing a javelin to vaulting to long jump, high jump, whatever. And so when I see something that, that goes small and usually when I see the cycling stop or drop, then I think it had to be deceleration and it had to be a drop. And none of those things are any good. Like you're talking about, it's better to have, if you had two things being equal, if you had two guys at the same speed, right. And same strength, let's say whatever. And, you know, one guy's taller and one guy's shorter, depending on body types and whatever. See, it's so variable. It gets weird. It's too many variables. It really does get variable. <laughs> but you would, like you said, you'd, you'd like to get somebody taller, right? Ideally, because they have a mechanical advantage. You're like, well, maybe they don't run as fast and maybe they're not a gymnastic or whatever, too. So yeah. you've got those arguments going against you. So, but that did crystallize it for me because I, I can see how people can be you know, in those two respects, you know, you're like, like you said, you, those two ways that work, obviously, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, which one do you pick? And like we were talking about before with my arm styles things, it's like, I've gotten to a place where I'm, I need to, to wait and watch more when people come to me and say, okay, we just started jumping a week ago. You know, my daughter jumped four, six at her first meet in the varsity and they love her, but they don't have a coach. I'm like, that's why I have my business. Yeah. So they come <laughs> see me and I'm watching them jump. And I'm just like, you know, within a couple of jumps, I'm going, oh yeah, great flexibility, nice layout, you know, and, and doesn't use her arms that well yet, but you know, we can find something there and, you know, um, 
but I don't like to, like I said, go. And I did this for years. I used to say, Hey, when I jumped, I was a classic double arm gather. I'd be running and I'd bring both arms up, reach back, bam, you know, and I, and I could teach that because that's what I knew, you know, and I, I tried a single arm, you know, when the Europeans were just starting to do the single and I couldn't get off the ground doing that. And I would demonstrate, you know, for the kids, I go, yeah, Fosbury did the opposite. He would go single arm, but reverse, like he was long jumping or something. And I go, and I could get no air doing that. <laughs> and my, my personal thought on that was you have to be a real stick. And I, I call sticks, the tall, skinny kids, you know, I'm like, yeah. because Fosbury was a stick, he was six, five and like one fifty or something. He just ran off the ground, you know, and, yeah. and so many things he did, he made it look so easy. I remember thinking back, I'm like, man, I don't even know how he could get off the ground, you know, doing that. But uh, everybody's different, you know. Exactly. Every once in a while, I'll find a kid. I just had one a week, this last week, came to me from a junior college. And she's first one I've seen a long time, pure Fosbury off the ground. And not a stick. This girl's five, two or three and, you know, wiry, but definitely not tall and thin. And he's already doing that. And... You know, I tried a couple of drills and said, you know, uh, from shorter approach, she wouldn't do that because I don't right. think you really can do that unless you're really moving quickly. So if I give her one step, she wouldn't just stand there and go like this. You know, she would yeah. try to use both arms because it's instinctive. It's like, well, I'm not going to get any lift doing this. Right. But, you know, when she got to full speed, that came right out. So everybody's got a different a different thing to work with. Yeah, and getting trapped in those models is is tricky. You know, there's there's a bunch of things we could talk about here, but um, it's like there's a reason Fosbury changed the game because he mm-hmm. did something different that worked for him, right? Yes. And so um, that doesn't happen all the time, but I've I've had examples when I was coaching at the high school and college level where I was like, man, you are s- dropping that that knee drive, right? right as soon as you take off like double leg swing is a bad word we can't be double leg swinging how do we keep that knee up and then after a year of trying to get this kid to swing with one leg instead of two i was just like let's try two and then mm-hmm. i remember going to meets get having other coaches because you've probably run into this too going what are you doing having your kid do this you know if you wouldn't yeah. if you do this they wouldn't be double leg swing anymore we get back to that single leg swing as our my kid just beat their kids at the meet, you know, with the double yeah. leg swing and you're going, but this is working. You know? And this <laughs> right. other way they were jumping lower, that wasn't working. Yeah. yeah. And I find a lot of coaches forget that the goal isn't to look pretty, you know, mm-hmm. going over there, there isn't scorecards going your jump was technically beautiful. You get a 9.8. Yes. It's to clear right. the bar and have it stay on the pegs. And, um, uh, especially in the pole vault, I, I can't speak for the high jump. You probably can, but there's a, I run into that a lot where they go, well, they cleared the bar, but it was it was a terrible, ugly jump. Like, but their ugly jump cleared the bar. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and he beat your kid. <laughs> he beat your kid. Yeah. yeah. So, do you run into that in the high jump too, or is it that it's, technical? It's funny that you say that because I was. Um, I don't know if you know the name. You, you know of Mike Tully. I don't know yeah. if you know Steve Tully. Have you? Ever yeah, I do. Yeah, of... I've heard a bunch of Tully stories over the years. The Tullys are legendary, <laughs> and I I grew up in Long Beach, California, and they both went to Millican like I did. So we went to Long Beach Millican, and Mike went to UCLA like I did, and Steve stayed local, and went to Long Beach City, vaulted eighteen two there has still has the school record, and then he did some work with Telez in Houston. 
So I'm, I'm always trying to listen to him. Cause I, I, I'm like a huge fan of anything that Tom Telez has ever done. Yeah. Uh, I, I've told on the, this podcast before, and if you're, you're just tuning in with us here, we're on raise the bar with Troy Haynes. And my guest is, is Sean Francis of team Hoop Pobalt. Um, I brought up that, that before where I, I was so interested in, in hearing anything to do, you know, with Telez and, and those stories, but um, you know, Steve, Steve is a, he's a character and uh but his brother mike is is was equally so i could tell you some stories that we probably can't tell you but he was <laughs> he was um he went to long beach one time i just happened to be there and it was after i'd been to ucla and i was visiting my old alma mater and and they they have pole vault pits and everything so you know he came by and was doing a workout you know and i remember somebody going that's that's tully over there i'm like yeah that's tully and no kidding, first ball, he comes charging down the runway and legs back and just triple snap, you know, backflip, crash. And I, I remember everybody was quiet and just watched. And he gets up, picks up the broken pieces, throws those off to the side, walks back to the bag, slides out another pole, you know, and gets <laughs> back to the end of the runway like this. And I remember going, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, didn't even... <laughs> It's like that's happened a million times, you know, no big deal. So um, uh, as far as the way things look and uh, how how they perform. Yeah. Oh, that's why I got to tell you. I saw the thing that you're talking about. He had this kid, little surfer kid, long, curly, blonde hair, fun kid. Can't remember his name where uh, he coaches at Los Alamitos High School. So I I put in uh, three years there recently. So I got to see him all the time. And uh, I'd usually make a point just to go talk with him for just a few minutes. But um, he had this one kid that was doing what you're saying, like no mm -hmm. knee drive, right? He he would hit the box and that right knee did not come up at all. Yeah. And he would rock back and do his thing. And and I'm, I was talking to Tully, I'm like, there's something weird about that vault. I'm like, yeah, I couldn't it looks it right funny. away. Because yeah. I'm like, there's something different about that vault. You know, and he's like, yeah, I can't get him to do this. But he's like, he was kind of had the same thing as you. It was just like every once in a while, his knee would go through, but most of the yeah. time it did not. And, and he was just figuring out how to make it work, you know? And it was like, yeah. cause that's, that's what he had, you know? And he, he had good speed and he had, he had the, you know, everything else seemed pretty good, you know, as yeah. I was watching him. So yeah. Um, in the high jump, I think, I think results are more appreciated maybe in the high jump. I don't know about the aesthetics because, you know, a lot of people look and, and especially when kids are bendy, I think they love looking like, you know, like my logo here, you know, yeah. <laughs> they, they like looking like that, but not everybody can get in that position. I wasn't super flexible. I remember Elias was like, you stiff man, come here, you know, and he'd like put me on these, the, what was it? The, the thing that swings out the turnstile that they use to block the running lanes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thing, right. To block lanes yeah. one through four. And it's kind of thick, like a steeple. And yeah. he, he would, he says, you lay back on this, oh, you know, and I'm like, Oh God, Elias, this is painful. He's like, yeah, well, you're, you're don't, you don't, you know, you don't have a lot of that. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, I was like into forced yoga or whatever, but um, <laughs> you know, they don't always look like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's, I jumped against a guy in high school named John Atkinson that I'm still trying to get on one of these podcasts. I've tracked him down. Uh, I haven't been able to, to get him to commit, but he would jump and he would literally, I swear to you, he would fold his arms 
and then stick his feet straight out. And he just go flying over in this sitting chair position, almost like I am the king of this event and nobody yeah. <laughs> can change. Cause he jumped like six eleven. He jumped, he jumped, he still has the highest jump in, in, uh, in more league, which was Long Beach Millick and Long Beach Polly, uh, history. He went to Polly. So I got to jump against him. And, uh, you know, when I'm the guy that was in front of me, the senior in front of me, they had the rivalry and, uh, I was kind of chasing, you know, both of them watching him come up. But I remember watching him going, what is he doing? You know, and he, he, he had to jump four inches higher than everybody else just to make it in that position. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, but it he did. probably <laughs> wasn't like that, but that's the way my brain resees it, you know, yeah. after all this time. I'd like to have the ability to go in and grab the things that I've seen and put them onto video. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is the way they play out in my head sometimes, like the first time I saw Doug Nordquist run his approach in person after, you know, seeing him on the Olympics and everything, I'd, I'd never jumped against him. He was, he finished at Washington state right about the time I was coming into the pack 10 at UCLA. So we never competed against each other. And then, you know, he was a grad student and he got in 84 and, and on and on. So, but he, he's like a gazelle. This guy was six, five, 160, maybe, and fast, you know, and he would drop into this curve where he looked like he was leaning at a 45 degree angle. And he would, I call it buzzing the tower. I tell my kids this all the time. I go, I, I can't show you this because I see it this way, but I'm like, I want you to run and do your last five steps and then come out the other side, do another five and come right back out and a big hairpin turn, you know? And I yeah. go, it's just like buzzing the tower in Top Gun. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. And now it's starting to have some relevance for them because the new movie finally came out. So they don't have, to go, what, what's Top Gun? <laughs> like, yeah. oh God, you guys are so young. So they finally get the Top Gun reference, but it's like, I want you to buzz the tower. You know, when I see that, it's it's so different than, than uh, anything else. Even mm -hmm. now, I don't usually see anybody running approaches like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's really cool seeing you light up when you're talking about like high jump and all these things. Is there anything else that lights you up like that? Or is like high jump in this uh, thing that's just football? Been... I was a, football? I loved playing football in high school. I wanted to play for the Niners. I grew up in Northern California, Yeah, moved down here. So I love football. I coached football for a few years down here. Um, I think the business aspect of football, even though I love watching pro football, the business side of it is kind of taken away from some of it for me because it, it can be a brutal, yeah. brutal business, but at its core, the game of football itself, I, yeah. I do get pretty lit up about that. And I, and I, I, maybe it was the violence of it. I mean, I played defense. Yeah. I loved, you know, coming up and cracking somebody as hard as I could. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, this last year watching a guy almost die on the field was kind of sobering. And, um, you know, it's, it is, it still has all those things to it. It's an unbelievable speed game and, you know, unbelievably skilled athletes, all that. So that part of it's still compelling. Now, what is it, what is it about, about the football stuff though? Is it, is it the, uh, is it the same way you approach uh high jump, which is like the technical and how the plays are run or how to get the speed or yeah, the, the strategy? I, I really the enjoyed itself? the chess match in football. Okay. Because at the highest levels, I, I've got a, a friend at work that uh, I call my cellmate because we work in, we're PE teachers, so we're in this crappy little office. Yeah. Um, but he's the defensive coordinator of the football team, and he's really good. And he teaches his kids outrageously good tackling technique and everything else. And I said, I said to him one day, I go, well, what about this? He runs a, a classic 4-4 four, four 
three, you know, four down linemen, four backers, and three DBs. They always stay in cover three. I mean, it's like this milk toast, my least favorite defense of all time, because I'm that guy's going, hey, I want to blitz off the edge and I want to do this and I'm going to do that. Yeah. And Mark's just like, I'm going to sit in this vanilla defense and just kill you. You're going to catch the ball and my guys are going to all rally the ball and hit you hard and you're going to fumble and you're, you're not going to be able to drive the ball all the way down the field on us. And, you know, it's two completely different ways of looking at things, right? Which is yeah. part of what I enjoy. But he always tells me, he goes, it's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and Joe's, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I go, okay, I agree with you. If you have the Jimmy's and Joe's, you can run whatever you want. But what if you get to the level where all the guys are Jimmy's and Joe's? <laughs> now, right. now a we're in a game. chess match, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the part of it that I enjoy the most is, you know, Oh, what are they doing? You know, I'm always that guy going, we should be running, you know, run it right up the middle here or, you know, whatever. I'm the classic armchair quarterback, but, um, yeah, what was, uh, yeah. Sorry. I interrupted you there. I was thinking golf when you said that I don't get as lit up about golf, but I enjoy that now that's kind of become my, my competitive thing. I, I don't usually get that that juice to do anything i do actually like trying other things like you're saying guys come back to you and want to try the vault like yeah. i would i would be probably quicker to pick up a pole than i would to, to go high jump you should man because yeah i mean yeah. Uh, I, I need to you know i just turned 59 this year but i need to get back especially if i'm going to coach it i i this is another classic question do you do you think that, that you need to have competed at a really high level in order to be a, a good coach. And, you know, yeah, I'm interested question. to hear that one. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I've seen all, I've met a lot of coaches who have never touched the event before and, and coached really high athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think an eye and an understanding of the event is more important. Do I think if you can do the event and understand it from a, a physical level as well can help hundred oh, percent. But I think what's more important is just understanding the event and be able to communicate what you're seeing to try and get mm-hmm. somebody to do it. Um, one of my favorite examples, there was a, I won't throw her under the bus, but an elite pole vaulter that I used to jump with when, when I was doing the elite scene and she was on the verge of retiring and she was a, a U.S. champion. So like high quality made world championship teams. I was like, right. hey, so you're going to coach after this? You know what are you gonna what are you gonna do? You're you just gonna hang up the spikes for good. She's like, I could never coach in my entire life. I don't know what I'm doing. My coach just tells me what to do, and I go do it. They he tells me where to hold. He tells me where to run from. He tells me what mm-hmm. weights to lift. He tells me all these things. And and at the time I was going, I am the complete opposite. Where I want to know why, mm-hmm. every, why are we doing these percentages and weights? Why are I wrote all my own training too. Part of the reason I went to grad school is like, I want to know why all this stuff works and what my body right. is doing and at the cellular level. And uh, yeah, she, she just was like, I, I don't have, I don't, I couldn't coach it. I, I just do what I'm told. And, and that's about it. And I was like, wow, you're at this incredibly high level and you mm-hmm. don't even think you could coach a high school kid. Like, no, there's no way I, I could do that. And where I have other people who have, you know, coached state champions, NCAA champions, you know, gotten them into these really high levels who have never, one, jumped at a high level, or and some of them have never even touched a pole in the first place, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I don't think you need to, to do that. I just think you have to have a willingness to learn and understand, you know, and, and see where your curiosity takes you at that point. Yeah, it's, uh, the reason I bring that up is um, I've seen all of those things and it's, it's always surprising to me, but like I, I brought a Baru. <clears throat> Baru is this short little 
um, Romanian. He, was, he couldn't have been more than five, four. And he would always wear his, his specs. He would wear badly matching shirts and shorts. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, you'd be like, did you get dressed in the dark coach or what? And loafers with black socks before black socks were cool. This is in, <laughs> in the mid, early to mid eighties. And he would be like, I am the great athlete. You must beat the guy. You'll go over there, you know? And, and he, I channel him all the time for the kids. I, I, it's amazing the imprint that he left on me as an athlete because he, he was not an athlete. Yeah. You look at him and I'm like, I could not picture him long jumping, triple jumping or high jumping over anything, <laughs> you know, right. maybe playing soccer, maybe playing soccer. I could picture him doing soccer when, as a younger man, part of the problem was he was older, you know, when I, I met him sure. But, um, <laughs> I just think back on, on the things he used to say. And, uh, he had these great mannerisms. I, my first year in, in coaching, I had just left UCLA and I was coaching at the JC level. And I had a young athlete who, I don't know if you had this experience, my first year doing that since I was only 22 when I left UCLA or 20, 22 or 23. Oh no, by 80, I was 24. Okay. So this is 88. Um, fall of it or the winter of 89 would be January when we started the track season. Anyway, we start working at this JC and this, this girl that they give me is like a five, six jumper out of high school, five, four or something like that. So she's good talent. We start working. I've never coached the high jump before. And I'm, they gave me all the jumps and I'm just, you know, I'm doing my thing. And and the thing that Elias used to do was we always did back overs and then we'd start close and work our way out, you know, in which I've seen the same thing in the pole wall, seen the same thing in the long jump and triple. Yeah. So it's not revolutionary, but that's, that's what we did. And I started working with her. And this is one of those things, like I was too close to her in age, I think, you know, yeah. she was what, 18 <laughs> or 19 and I'm 24. Like she had not one ounce of respect for me. And I wasn't one of those people that go, Hey, I'm Troy Haynes. Like I went to UCLA and I'm number four on the all time list and blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares about that. I I've had oh, yeah. my humbling moments already. I, I, I've told the story before Sotomayor came here to jump right after he broke the world record and he went to this UCLA meet and I've got my ties to UCLA, obviously. So I got to jump in the meet. So there's Sotomayor, Tallis Conway, there's Brian Stanton, uh, Lee Balk, and all these guys I've jumped against for years. Um, actually, all of them I had jumped against at least once. And then Sotomayor, I mean, it's like, and he just jumped eight feet, right? So yeah. there's that hype to it. And there's the fact that I get to go to it. And there's like nine or 10 jumpers in the field. And, and they go, ladies and gentlemen, we like to introduce the competitors for the, the high jump, you know. These are the all-time humbling moments. So they go, here he is, you know, Sotomayor, world champion, indoor, outdoor, record holder, blah, blah, blah. And it takes five minutes to read all this accomplishment. Yeah. And he comes out and goes like this, and everybody's, you know. And Hollis Conway, U.S. champ, this, that, and the other thing, blah. And they're all going down the list. And they get to the end, and they go, and Troy Haynes. <laughs> It's like, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. You know, it's like nobody knew who I was. So I wasn't the guy that was going to sit there and go, yeah, you, you haven't heard of me. I went to UCLA. Yeah. Nobody's heard of me. It's no big deal. So, you know, she just didn't respect me because she didn't think I knew anything about anything. Yeah. So, you know, there was that a slow grudging gaining of trust and uh, it took a while. The, uh, the crowning moment was 
I was at a, a practice one day and my uncle, for some reason, was was at the practice. Well, we lived in Costa Mesa, so he was close by. He comes out and watches my practice and and she said something and I go, I go, Elizabeth, I said, you've got to, you know, lean away from the bar at, as you're getting into the curve. And she goes, well, that's not what I learned, you know, and and I looked at her and I, I said, you must unlearn what you have learned. And my <laughs> uncle started laughing because he, he told me later, he goes, you used Yoda on her. I'm like, yeah. It was straight out. It was straight out of the movie, man. My ears dropped. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was like, and I didn't even know where it was coming from. I didn't think it just rolled out. It was like, you, you've got to unlearn that stuff, you know? So that it's just funny, but he was my, my guru, but he was, yeah, he wouldn't have been the most athletic guy. I think of John Madden in football, you know, everybody right. says, Oh yeah. He's a okay great lineman in the NFL for a couple of years. And then, you know, fantastic coach and, you know, Super Bowl champion and all that. So pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, what's, what's interesting too is if people know it, right. And they can do the skill. Um, and if it comes natural to them, I've kind of found that they haven't had to do the extra work of right. figuring it out and solving it. Right. So it's almost right. like some of these, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but like these mid tier athletes or these ones mm -hmm. who don't are, aren't at these high levels. that had to work really hard to jump mediocre bars or, right. Right. or performances. They'll make awesome coaches because they had to find all the ways one that didn't work. And then they right. had to find the ways that did work in multiple yeah. ways, probably at that point. So there's almost a little more value there sometimes. Now, if you get like an Earl Bell type person, you know, um, for people who don't know who Earl Bell is, uh, the, the most winningest Olympic pole vault coach of all time, right? I right. guess you could say that uh, very first USATF track and field club in the United States, like mm -hmm. Earl Bell's kind of, he's the guy, but Olympian world record holder. And then he coached American champions, Olympians and right. all that stuff. So he, had, I mean, that's the best of both worlds. Right. But in my world, I, I work with a lot of, you know, high schools uh, and young coaches and that's been who I, I feel like I, they're just most fun to help, you know, and work with right. everyone else seems to have a coach or somebody already. But with those people, it's like, what I found is the people who make the best coaches seem to be the ones who had to solve this problem on their own. And then they can bring those skills right. and tools to their athletes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting perspective. You have to have a, a, um, what was it? Uh, I was just doing a podcast the other day and we were talking about, I had, I had a friend of mine at the, um, when I coached football and he, he had gone on and played some college ball, which I never had. And, and he said, he, he said, had a saying, which I liked. And he said, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Right. And I liked that a lot. And I, I also told him, you know, the flip side, I said, and I said, when talent work hard, works hard, everybody else is screwed. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. You know, you got somebody who's got the gift and they have that hunger to master, you know, not just the guy that, you know, the coach says do this and they do it. They don't think it through or whatever. They just go and perform, which is a great gift. God, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I would take less of this analytical stuff and more just non-thinking jumped over seven, eight or something, you know, but um, yeah. yeah. There's gifts and curses to both though, right? Right. Right. Yeah, like Mondo Duplantis is probably the best example of that because when he was learning the event, he had this innate, innate drive to just want to pole vault. I mean, he had a pit in his backyard and his dad was mm -hmm. a 19 foot pole vaulter and 
you know, he was always competing against his brother, right? But he was smaller and younger and slower. Yeah. He was really short kid growing up, but he had that almost underdog yeah. feel to it where he had to learn this event with weights on his shoulders. And then yeah. all of a sudden he got a growth spurt and got really fast and he still had that yeah. underdog. So, and now he's multiple time world record holder right. and I think he's jumped over six meters, 60 times already. And he's only 23 wow. years old. Like it's That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I remember, uh, Bluka used to break his own world record by one centimeter at a time. So he yeah. paid money. Mondo's doing that, that too now. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. he, he would literally go up one centimeter at a time because he didn't want to do it all at once because every time he broke the record, they, they paid him money in the old Russian, you know, deal there. There was a, there was a thing at the, the world championships last year, because I guess when Buka was around, there was an indoor world record and an outdoor world record. Yeah. And they got rid of the, the, the indoor world record. Yeah. Yeah. They got rid of the indoor world record. So instead of breaking his world record at the outdoor championships last year by a centimeter, he had to break it by, I think it was two or three. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I just lost a lot of money having to break it a couple extra times. Right. <laughs> just, just an interesting thought. It just shows that the, the sport's a whole different business yeah. at that level you know oh amazing well that, that he was just like the other guy the um the kid the guy we grew up watching on on tv on uh wild world of sports the yeah. big fat russian dude that would do the uh, vasily alexiev the clean and jerk he's just oh, a yeah. huge guy he was another guy he broke the the world record in the clean and jerk like i think 70 times wow. in his career but That's he always wild. went up the smallest increment that you could go up, throw an ounce on there. He was getting paid, you know, to do that. And you're like, what a great, you know, mind to just go. Okay, we're gonna this the way you set the rules up. So we're, we're gonna milk this cow for every, everything they've got, you know. Right. Well, hey, right. before we roll out, tell us a, a, a little bit about your um the foundation and your the your mind and oh the uh, owl media. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um. I've had a history with mental health issues like my entire life and um, was hospitalized twice, once as a kid, once as a, uh, in, in grad school. Mm -hmm. And what helped me with the sports side was as I was learning these tools to kind of help myself out, I was going, man, a lot of these tools could probably help my athletes. So when I got back to coaching after that, I started uh, trying some of these mindfulness techniques. I started using cognitive behavioral therapy to help you know, with their performance and it helped them jump higher. And I was like, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So why are these not being translated or why, why are these not readily accessible? Why do you have to, and I hate to say it this way, but lose your mind or go into one of these mental health places right. to be able to get these tools. So it's been kind of a mission with the pole vault side um, to help grow the sport, but to help grow this other side where, you know, there's a joke that pole vault's 80% mental and the rest is in your head kind of. A thing. Yeah. So why are we not talking about, you <laughs> right. know, the pole vault or the mental health side more, the psychology of what's going mm -hmm. on. So, yeah. So we're, we've got podcasts where I talk to mental health experts and try and give them a platform a lot like what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just trying to grow it and give some money back to mental health projects and organizations. So, so. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's uh so, yeah, such a huge, huge thing. You know, it's been brought to light these last couple of years with, uh, you know, um, uh, Simone Biles, you know, in the yeah. Olympics and um, uh, the uh, the tennis player, I forget her name, um, that, uh, you know, won the U.S. Open at a young age and just, you know, the pressure was was something, um, you know, it's it's so hard 
for for I think the probably it's just human nature. I keep thinking, you know, why is it hard for some people to have sympathy or to, you know, and it just depends, right? If they're if they have never had any kind of history inside their family, maybe they don't have any athletes, maybe they don't have any, you know, any experience with it. So it's just like it doesn't make sense to them that there are these pressures and that, you know, just from, you know, from the personal life, you're talking about those issues and then also how to perform better. Right. And, and mindsets and how you think, and are there ways that we can learn to relax, not put so much pressure, you know, uh, perform at these levels, you know, and, and for so many, I think that it's, we're finally getting into an age where maybe there is a chance to, you know, open up these doors and, and shed some light on these issues and have people say, you know, uh, and part of that was a stigma too, right? You, you, yeah, nobody wants sure. to admit, yeah. you know, that they're struggling. Nobody right. wants to admit that. They just want to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm good, man. You know, I, I, you know, and inside you're, you're tearing yourself apart, but on the, on the surface, everybody's got that veneer of, I, I got it all under control. You know? Yeah, that's totally the stigma. Like the the more I'm talking to these experts and reading these two thick tick textbooks that I'm reading, but the mind and the body work almost the same. There's this you can train your body to run faster, jump higher, um, you know, work in a way you want it to, and the brain is malleable just like that. Where when I was a kid, you were taught that this is your brain, this is the way it is, and it, it can't change. It's solid, and it's a rock, and you mm -hmm. have to make it more solid. But it's very fluid, and you can learn new things. You can break old habits. Mm -hmm. and you can challenge the way you're thinking, and emotions are, are a tool to teach you something. Like, what is your emotions telling you right now? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm highly stressed right now, so why are you stressed? And you can start exploring that, you know, and then you can use that your body or your emotions or your thoughts as a tool to help you go where you want to go. Right. Mm -hmm. So as we were talking about earlier, that's why I was really fascinated where you're like, well, I got really amped up and you know, I was running really fast, but the bar wouldn't stay up. You know, I was moving right. too fast. All right. Well, that's an emotion, right? That's a, yeah. that's a thing happening inside of your body. So what can we do to, you have that awareness now, which is always right. step one. What can we do to maybe get to that optimal level where you're still running fast, but you can move a little slower once you get into the air to clear some of those right. bars. Right. And that's, that's been kind of the mission is just understanding the body, understanding the mind, and then being able to share those tools with hopefully the younger generation. If they learn it through pole vault or they learn it through track and field or even these podcasts, they'll have these skills and tools for if they really need it, you know, down the road yeah. where yeah. a hard breakup or they lost a job or a family member or something yeah. like that, they go, well, when I was at the back of the runway at the state championship and I had one attempt left and I had these huge, crazy emotions and I was freaking out and I was in this flight or fight mode and I didn't know if to stay on the runway or run or cry or whatever. Right. You have that tool and then you have the same one over here as if something happened in your life. So yeah, that's how I've, we've been trying to tackle it. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's an amazing, uh, undertaking and, um, it's, I, I see the, the doors swinging open there a little bit, um, similar with the, uh, Paralympic movement. You know, I, I love watching the growth in that, that, uh, these athletes that, uh, are amazing in the fact that, you know, they don't stop being athletes just because right. of whatever, you know, yeah. whatever limitation. I, I remember watching a, a kid on, on, uh, Instagram 
on my feed one day and you know, I see him on, on crutches and they're standing there by the high jump. And all of a sudden he's just like throws the crutches down and he's, he's got one leg is misshapen and he's hopping on one leg all the way up to the bar and then jumps over it. And I was just like, I'm like, first of all, that looks like it's at least five, six or five, eight. And secondly, wow. And third, yeah. wow. Like <laughs> I was just like blown away right. by that. You know, I'm like that, you know, you can still go out and compete and have the same drives and the same everything else, you know? So that's um, what I love about track and field. It's you versus the bar, you versus the clock. Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing I can say too, as a quick sidelight, when we were talking about, you know, what motivates in this and that, I don't remember, even though I didn't talk to my other competitors that much after the meet, I was taught you shake hands you know, Hey, great yeah. job. And, and all that during, I was pretty quiet pre I'd say hi, check in and then get about yeah. my business, you know, but I don't remember being hateful, spiteful, or even I've got to beat this guy or whatever, you know, right. for me, it was always that next height, you know, like yeah. you wanted, you wanted to PR, you know, as there were some heights that you would say, you know, with a personal best of 222, if I went to a meet and jumped 220, you know, okay, that's only seven, two and a half, but that was a pretty good day. You know, it wasn't, right. wasn't as good as possible, but it was a pretty good day. Now, if I jumped 610, I'm going to be like, well, I jumped 610 in high school, you know, so that's, yeah. that's not such a good day. And, uh, you know, you've got that, you know, relativism involved. Um, I was going to ask you this uh, before we go. Um, what I've told this story before, but I can't remember one time after I jumped at a certain level, but I, and I honestly don't, you know, the first day you jump, you get two or three PRs <laughs> because yeah, you've never done yeah, it before. Yeah. So, you know, someone says, Oh, you jumped this and you don't tell them the other four times you PR that day, but those days are rare. Right. Um, but I, I said, you know, it seems to me, I remember uh, in college, especially there wasn't one time that I PR that I didn't know that I was going to make that bar before right. I, before I started the approach. I don't remember sitting there going, I really, 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 really hope I get over this time. You know, it was yeah. like, I just remember sitting there and going, okay, that, that last attempt was close or, you know, whatever was going on, you knew in your training, like there's just times when you know it's, it's time, you know? And it's like, it's seven, two, seven, two and a quarter, seven, two and a half, seven, three and a half. Those times I remember each time just going, I got it. This is it. I'm over, you know? Yeah. And, and not being surprised, but still having that elation and run around and celebrate. But I don't remember being surprised just because, you know, and I don't think anybody ever wants to PR with that jump where the bar comes off and flips up and down three times and lands and goes like this. Like you want a clean. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd rather PR that way than not PR though. <laughs> right. Right. That too. Yeah. That too. With that said, yeah. If I could have done that at seven, four and a half, I would have taken it. For yep. sure. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Sean, um, I really appreciate your time, brother. Um, and, you know, your willingness to to come right back to me. I don't always get replies, to be quite honest, on Instagram. I, I've asked more than a few people to uh, to be on the podcast. So I was uh, very pleased that you so quickly answered. And um, with your traveling show, you go to these different high schools. You ever get out to California? Yeah, I've been I've been out there a few times. Um 
this this summer will be a little different. My wife and I are expecting our, our first kid in about oh, great. weeks. So I don't know if I'll be doing camps this summer or not. I don't know yeah, how much sleep be... I'll be getting. But no, no, I can tell yeah. you that's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, if I'm out there, I'll, I'll look you up for sure. I love what you're doing too, man. Like my with Team Hoot, it's it's always been how do we grow the sport more? And so when I see more podcasts coming up talking about ideas and ways to grow the sport, I'm I'm always on board to do that. So well, thank I'm, you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for coming on and thank you for being my first vaulter, I think. I'm right I'm on back. I don't think I've had uh I tried to get Tully, like I said, and he got COVID the week we were gonna do it, and then I haven't gotten back to him. And then Curran is just hard to pin down. He's always surfing or something. That's what I was going to tell you earlier. Is like <laughs> he's one of those guys who's like, "Hey, I'm not coming to pull vault practice today. The waves are too good." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. He's he's always been that guy. He's he's hilarious. He was the one they turned me on to when I was at at UCLA in '82 or '83. Well, I was, wasn't done till '86, so somewhere in there, the movie Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure came <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, and he's like, "Dude, you got to see Pee Wee's," and I'm like, "Pee Wee Herman, really?" Because I see his stand up, you know. And I'm like, yeah. "I wasn't a big fan of his stand up." And he goes, "Trust me, you got to see Pee." So I watched the movie, and it's one of my favorites. I I just I still laugh all the time, and uh, you know, from I meant to do that. Um, there's all kinds mm-hmm. of little things that he would say that were from that movie. And then, um, then, uh, strange brew where there's a yeah. part the guy, <laughs> that's a good guy one. offers a lady a donut and he goes here, it's a jelly. And so <laughs> he, we were talking about that line. So his nickname for me is jelly donut. That's awesome. So, yeah. He's, he's a great guy. We got to get him on here, but, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that you were the, the first Sean. So cool. Um, now I can cool. hold it against Kern and Tully. <laughs> right. Right. And we will, we will, uh, be looking for great things. Um, keep, keep making all those great posts and, uh, we'll definitely get you back on here. If you're willing to do this again, we'll, we'll check back in once you, once you get a chance to settle into being a dad. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a plan, man. All right, sir. Cool. All right. You have a good one. All right. Awesome. Have a good one, man. Yep. And so we wrapped up with Sean Francis of Team Hoot Pole Vault. A great guy, does a lot of great work on his um, stuff. You've heard uh, he's got his site on Instagram. He's got teachings on YouTube. He does uh, camps apparently around the country where he takes his show on the road. And uh, he's got a real great demeanor, um, how he you know deals with his kids. Um, you can see he just just seems pretty chill, you know, and uh I'm, I'm looking forward to one of these days, you know, getting to meet him in person and, um, you know, sharing, sharing little tidbits. Um, you know, uh, he's helping me, uh, to a great extent, becoming a better pole vault coach and get a chance to tell him that, but I have been, uh, you heard me say that I've, I've watched his, uh, some of his teachings and, um, you know, seven drills you can do at home, uh, with a PVC pipe to become a better pole vaulter. So obviously thought through, by someone who is, uh, you know, concerned with helping others, you know, learn how to do it better. And that's a, the true definition of a coach. So uh, thanks again to Sean Francis, and um, we're looking forward to him becoming a dad. So um, until next time, that will uh, finish our latest episode of Raise the Bar with Troy Haynes, your host, the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. Until next time, keep raising that bar.